This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Go-to-market teams are comprised of people who have a kaleidoscope of skill sets, backgrounds, and experiences. This diversity of experience is part of what makes a business successful. It's not uncommon for a marketer or a sales rep to have professional experience unrelated to marketing or selling. The career path of someone on a go-to-market team may be filled with twists and turns, but along the way, they pick up something very important, transferable skills. As you lead your go-to-market teams, you must be able to identify these skills and help each team member develop them. In this episode, we will explore this concept of transferable skills. What are they? How do you recognize them? How do you develop them? And why do members of go-to-market teams need them? Chatting it up with me today is my friend and author of Skills, The Common Denominator. Miss Asha Arvindakshan. Asha, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me today on the Sales Intelligence Podcast. I'm based in New York. Where are you, where are you again? So I'm in, I'm just south of Salt Lake City. Yeah. And you're in New York. Why did I think you were in the Bay Area for some reason? I thought like when we connected a couple of years ago, I thought you were in the Bay. You're in New York? Always in New York, at least the last five years. I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., but never lived out in the Bay Area. All right. Well, maybe that explains why you have such a thing for uh, Tom Brady. You're an East Coast person. <laughs> I remember that. You're I remember. You're in trouble with your listeners. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, he's a goat. He is the goat. So, That's right. I mean, come on. Uh, I have a thing for Tom Brady, too. So don't 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 sweat it. All good. So, before we before we hop into our very exciting conversation, I think you and I are going to have some fun today. We've known each other for a few years. We've worked together. Uh, I'm excited to talk about your book. Congratulations, by the way. What a big deal. Thank you. It was a very uh, big accomplishment. And just the reception of the book by people of all ages, from middle school to mid-career, um, from, you know, uh, it's just been amazing just seeing the the positive feedback, how people, you know, open their minds to the concepts that are in the book and how they're actually using them in their day to day. So what, what drove you, what possesses what, what yeah. possesses a person to drive them to write a book? I mean, that's not a small undertaking. This is a big thing. You're absolutely right. And so for me, I am a person who has pivoted careers. I've worked in public sector, nonprofit, um, private sector, and I thought that was normal but have come to learn that that is not normal. A lot of people work in the same industry or the same functional area for the majority of their careers. However, at the start of the pandemic three years ago, 20% of the population lost their jobs to companies restructuring or shutting down. And a lot of those people would need to make dramatic career pivots to be, you know, to continue their careers. You know, they're leaving industries that were, you know, we're not reopening those businesses. And so I knew if I could capture the stories of other people like me that had made these dramatic career pivots, it would provide those people who had to change their careers with the proof points of what they could do. They could see themselves in those examples and plot out their next steps. And so that's what motivated me to write the book in 2020. Um, and I published it in 2021. 
Well, congratulations. Uh, I, I'm, I've been following you on LinkedIn and on Twitter and watching you with your your cool things of all of the experiences that you've had with the book and with your your studies and, you know, just you being you. What, what's been the most interesting or, or kind of eye opening as you've started to roll the book out? For me, the most eye opening is how many people resonate with the stories or the people who think their story is so unique. And then I start to tell them, actually, I have a story just like that in the book. And so I'll give an example. I remember after giving a book talk in Austin, a gentleman came up to me and he said, I, you know, I work in my family's uh, construction business, and I don't think I have any skills to find a job outside of construction. And I said, well, actually, I interviewed two people in my book who worked for their father's construction companies, and both of them were successful in finding opportunities um, that suited them outside of construction. It's like you build a lot of skills in construction, like working with stakeholders in, in the city, for example, or on the project, um, you know, the other suppliers, you know, project management really well, you know how to communicate. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, wait, I do know all those things. And maybe I could use that in a different place. And so those, those Type of, when those happen, when those connections happen, and it starts to click for someone that they do have these transferable skills, that makes me so happy. Okay, so I mean, let, let's get into this because you're you're starting to, you know, uh, really drive my curiosity here. Let, let's start with the definition. Yes. Um, how do you define? How do you define transferable skills? What are these? Yep. So Ryan, when I was interviewing folks for my book, I started to see patterns in their career change stories. And these patterns showed they relied on their skills that they developed at work or school or extracurricular activities or even with their family time. And this ranged from hard skills to soft skills to life skills to job skills. And they use that to position themselves for the next opportunity. Collectively, I call these transferable skills, skills that we develop in one context and use in another. Okay. So um, what are maybe some of the most common transferable skills that you see? I mean, you, you mentioned this, this discussion with this guy from Austin who came to you, who turns out, you know, from with his dad's construction company, and you actually did research with that exact use case. So, you know, how, how, uh, you know, apropos, but what are the most common transferable skills that you recognize? Yeah, so one thing I want to say is there are so many skills. And in the book, I highlight 42 transferable skills that I think are needed in today's market. And of those 42, I'd say the most common skills are writing, storytelling, and specifically for today's listeners, I want to highlight the skill of customer first. And so if we just dig in a little deeper, writing is a hard skill that everyone should work on improving because you can use it in so many scenarios and don't think that artificial intelligence is going to do all the work for you oh preach sister Uh oh she (laughs) said it let's go yeah you still need to like take that content and personalize it for your reader with storytelling that's a soft skill that'll take you very far you know i've given dozens of book talks and that's the top skill that the attendees listening to me take away from the presentation You know, it's that ability to paint the picture for others, whether it's about you, your work, or a customer challenge. And it's a really important one to building your credibility. And finally, the last one, customer first, is a job skill. And that just centers the customer in all of your activities in your universe. And that's key for go-to market teams to be successful. So uh, when you and I first met, it was um, easy for me to see a, a ton of different skills that you had. And I used a specific word. I don't know if you remember this, 
but I used a very specific word to describe you. Uh, do you recall what that word was? No, I don't. It's probably in my one of my million notebooks, though. I said you were terrifying. Do, <laughs> do, do you remember this? Do you remember this? Yes. Okay. Now, by terrifying, I didn't mean like scary or or terrifying in terms of you know driving horror into my heart. What I meant was formidable. Now you use the word credible, yes. and that's another word that 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 I could I could have used and probably should have used because your ability to connect with people tell those stories and you know everything that you're just talking about really was on full display and it created such confidence in our partnership that I was like oh my gosh this is a person that we can connect with thank you so you know from from your perspective why is having these transferable skills so important for sellers and marketers why do why do people need these skills great question so what's interesting about both sellers and marketers is they cultivate foundational skills in their functional area that I believe allow them to go anywhere. And so that's why it's important for them to like understand the transferable skills they have and articulate them. They can then further specialize by developing industry knowledge and that can set them apart. And so that's for me, the reason I would say that it's so important for sellers and marketers to acknowledge their transferable skills. Okay. So we've talked about some of the, the those three transferable skills. What are the most intransferable skills specifically for sellers and marketers? What what should they have in today's business environment? And uh, you know, don't don't be afraid to share, you know, any of the any of the 42. That's a big list. You know, go, list. <laughs> go go where you want to go. All right. So I interviewed several marketers and entrepreneurs in my book. And so going beyond writing and storytelling and customer first as the most common transferable skills we talked about earlier. For sellers, I'd say the three most important transferable skills are consensus-based decision-making, and that's the ability to wrangle stakeholders to make a purchase decision. Endurance, the ability to maintain your stamina during a sales cycle, especially in enterprise sales. And performing, the ability to deliver effective presentations to stakeholders, and that's both virtual and in-person. Ryan, would you add any there? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't want to add any, I want to go a little bit deeper because wrangling stakeholders is yes. a skill that is probably from my perspective, one of the most important for marketers and sellers to have deals internally die on the vine die that are beautiful. That are the right things to do. These ideas that you have, these initiatives you want to run deals that you want to be creative with. They die on the vine when you're not able to wrangle those stakeholders. So tell me more about that. What what do you mean when I think you and I are probably jiving on the same language here, but what do we mean wrangling stakeholders? Help me understand a little more. So I think, you know, I always um, lean on the challenger sale methodology, which says there are 5.4 decision makers in every deal. Yeah. And for me, you know, when you come, when it comes to that, like you as a salesperson need to be able to identify those critical stakeholders in the deal, make sure that they're aware the deal is happening and that may be through the contact you're working with and ensuring that they have access to the information to make a decision in a timely manner. Because what you don't want is at the 11th hour, something happening because someone didn't have the correct information and squashing your deal. Mm. Understanding uh, or wrangling uh, stakeholders is closely related to one of the most the one of the most important attributes that we've discovered doing win loss analysis of primary intelligence, and that's understanding business needs. 
understanding business needs and wrangling stakeholders are almost same, same. And what we have found um, in this understanding or wrangling of stakeholders and understanding their, their various needs are what there are two sets of kind of criterion with which they're using to make decisions. They have their on spreadsheet decision criterion, like um, the, the product that they're looking at has to do X, Y, or Z, uh, or it has to integrate with the, with this ERP system or this software or that software. Once they check the boxes, and by the way, a lot of different competitors can do all of those same things. Correct. Once they check those boxes, they move off spreadsheet and they move into the, what we call uh, these off spreadsheet um, criterion, like uh, cultural fit, uh, ability to understand needs and, and, and drive uh, and, um, uh, that uh, kind of deeper understanding of connective tissue where you become a trusted partner right extension of the team tell me more yes go keep going yes Yes. tell me more i remember this um being on having been on the vendor side multiple times in my career and i started my career at the corporate executive board where you know our our mantra was become an extension of the client's team and when you have that mentality you approach the situation differently it's not transactional it's relational and so I think here, when you bring that back to the consensus-based decision-making, you're not just pushing them forward to make a decision. You're pushing forward a partnership between your organizations and making sure everybody has that information. And so I think um, the extension of the team, the relationship aspect, the professionalism, the responsiveness, all takes a different tone and takes it to a different level when you think of yourself as extension of the team. What's the impact What's the impact on the customer that you're selling to, the prospect that you're selling to, and then even as they become a customer, when they feel like you are an extension of their team? They feel heard and they feel trust, like they have a, a, they have a trust in that relationship and they feel like they're going to be heard and that you're going to move forward um, with them. The companies are going to grow together. And that is something that you just can't, you can't buy off the shelf. You have to mm. build that. Why is being heard? This I think this is becoming more and more and more important, you know, in today's buying cycle, especially with digital transformation. Meaning, buyers are spending less and less time with sellers. Right? They are. They're they're spending, you know, ten somewhere between three and ten percent of their buying cycle is actually with the seller. The vast majority is done online with okay. peer groups, with you know, partners, so on and so forth. Um, why is that feeling? of creating that feeling of being heard so important from your perspective, um, you know, why is that so important? So if they're going into their peer communities or these review sites to gain their information, they're, you know, that's the secondary research. They still haven't articulated what they're looking for and had someone say, I can do that. And so that even if it's only 10% of their time that they're spending with the seller, the seller can validate their rubric or checklist of needs and, and, let the, let the buyer know if they can't do something right now, they can do it in the future, which is something is really hard to ascertain when you're just looking at a website. A website's not going to tell you that. They're going to put that out there, right? But a seller no. can bring that trust, that confidence, that credibility, and show you the proof points uh, that may not be on, on a public website. Ooh, okay. So drawing full, I love that. So drawing it full circle, what I'm hearing you say is the website might be really good and online research and even peer groups might be really, really good to tick the box for the rubric or the on spreadsheet criterion, but really it'll be the salesperson's job 
to then help them feel confidence in the future by, by helping them feel heard and understood. Am I, am I following? Absolutely. And especially when you think about the level and investments that companies are making with enterprise, you know, buying decisions, you need to have that confidence. Yeah. So the biggest issue, and and I'm going to vent a little bit here. uh, The biggest issue that I see with organizations is in the sales cycle, they run this play beautifully so well. The marketers, the sellers have done a beautiful job in setting things up. They've sold it appropriately. They've created that relationship. The deal is sold and then implementation comes in and there's oftentimes a disconnect, right? There's, there's a major problem there. And then all of a sudden the customer stops feeling heard. They fight through it. They, they bear down, they get through implementation. Now they're up and going and they're, they're just, just starting to see kind of results and then sellers come back in and pester and push and are overly aggressive with trying to upsell before results have even been been realized. What is that kind of behavior? What's the impact of that kind of behavior on the the building, the, the skill set that was demonstrated by the sellers early on in the sales cycle? What is the impact on the buyer when this type of behavior happens? So typically in those situations, the seller is going around the buyer to have those conversations and they start to erode trust. And so it's really important that the buyer and the seller maintain their touch points, uh, maintain an openness on what's going on, and that the seller is transparent about the expansion opportunities within the business, because then the buyer can put them in front of the right doors, in front of the right contacts, the right executives um, to grow that business at the right time. But it has to be done. Again, it's a partnership. It's not transactional. I love this. Okay. So if I'm a hiring manager, if I'm a, I'm a, somebody that needs to hire somebody, uh, or you're trying to build a go-to-market team, what skills should you be looking for in your candidates? Great. So as we discussed, there are these core skills that hiring managers can look for in a seller or in a marketer. And on top of that, they should be looking for transferable skills in the interview process, like active listening. Okay. Candidate to see how well they understand the business and the customers and make sure they're digesting the information and asking the right questions. And I'd also like to point out that if you're in the hiring seat, you need to keep an open mind on transferable skills and how they can balance out your team. You know, as I'm listening to the skills that you're starting to lay down, I'm getting a sense of, of painting a picture. You're painting a picture for me of the type of person. And this is, this isn't just a good seller or marketer. This is a good human being, right? I'm I'm just hearing like, Hey, this is a person who is a good human who's, who happens to be working or get, you know, employed as a seller or a marketer. I mean, as you were writing this book and you were looking at these skills, you know, how did this either change your perception of, of the world or of people or, you know, what impact did this have on you? I think what it showed me was we don't have like two or three skills each. Like if I look at the 42 skills in the book, I think I had like almost 30, 35, right? And so you want to, when you're looking at this inventory of skills, you realize you're pulling out different skills at different times in different scenarios, right? But you want to be able to recognize those skills don't need to be compartmentalized into let's say work or outside of work that you can like use them in different places and, 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 and move them across these different, these boundaries and that's what makes you become more powerful in your career. So I love that. Let's explore that a little bit more. So um, oftentimes when we talk about sale, um, sales coaching or marketing coaching or, you know, taking having reps, 
you're in a very specific environment where it's live fire and it's, it's, it's a super high risk environment where if you mess up, a deal could go away. Mm-hmm. Um, in your research or in your book, did, do, do you explore anywhere about how to um, perhaps use real life as like a training ground to develop these skills or, you know, uh, situationally um, employ these skills outside of work in lower risk environments? Absolutely. That, that is a great Great segue, Ryan. So for people who are looking, for example, to build up their leadership skills, and, and in sales, this is, this happens a lot because you have a lot of individual contributors and not as many managerial roles. Yeah. I highly advise people go out and volunteer and build your leadership skills in the community because you could easily move up a food chain in, you know, in a volunteer activity because not many people want to take on the leadership roles right? and you, you'll be able to flex your skills in a different way. And then you can come back to the workplace and talk about those examples of how you're a leader in your community. And that could potentially from, you know, get you promoted into that next role. Okay. So uh, that actually had not crossed my mind. And I love this. This, this is like a, a beautiful thing. So what I heard you say was volunteer in the community to develop your leadership skills. That's, that's crazy cool, right? Because I mean, you're, you're out volunteering and helping other people at the same time, you're uh, honing, uh, sharpening, creating your own leadership skills. Did I hear you right? That's absolutely right. And so specifically for salespeople, they would make excellent fundraisers. <laughs> they not re- realize that, right? You know, everyone's selling something and the fundraiser's doing the same thing. They're selling a cause. And so that salesperson could lend their skills to a, a fundraising activity or, or, or coaching fundraisers in a nonprofit and, you know, sharing the techniques they're learning from the private sector into the nonprofit sector. And they can really probably see a real fundamental change in how those people operate or how that organization brings in money. And that's powerful. Oh, that's, that's huge. And also, you know, side effect, halo effect, you're helping other people, right? So exactly. what, a, what a lovely way to not only sharpen or hone your, your own personal skills, but also to, to be a part of the greater community, which I think we're kind of desperately in need of at, at this I time. Agree. I agree. Right. So, okay. What other tips for upskilling might you have for us, for our listeners, you know, uh, where do you go to continuously develop these skills in addition to potentially volunteering? So for most salespeople, they're really lucky because their companies may have dedicated sales enablement teams prescribing the relevant training for their company's products and the selling methods. And but there are also you know, sales training academies that a salesperson can participate in to learn specific sales methodologies. And for the marketers, you know, it's interesting we talked about peer communities earlier. I think marketers learn a lot from their peer communities. You know, for example, they're sharing tips on what techniques are working, what's a fad, when is a customer relying on their peers to make a decision. And so marketers can learn from joining those peer communities, like through professional associations or LinkedIn groups, and find like-minded marketers that they can learn from. Okay, I love this. So we've talked about, you know, the skills, we've talked about how they can impact stakeholders. How do these transferable skills impact sellers internally? So you mentioned wrangling stakeholders in the decision-making process. What about internal stakeholders and being able to wrangle, you know, people internally? Do these skills transfer, uh, you know, pun intended here, maybe not a pun, but, you know, words intended, do they transfer to internal communications as well? They absolutely do. When you think about the cycle of closing a deal on the internal side, you may need input from legal, finance, security, procurement. And that's just to get the paperwork out the door. 
that's just paperwork. There's so many others, right? So all of those different departments, um, we need to have relationships with all the relationships with all of those different departments. And going back to that idea of wrangling, this is becoming more and more and more difficult, especially in a co-located environment where people are all over the world, frankly, you in a, in a global organization, if, if you're a multinational organization and you're selling globally, you might have to wrangle relationships via Zoom. In fact, you and I, we've we've worked together for years and never met in person, which is a travesty for a guy like me. I'm I'm Italian and Spanish and like, you know, like to be with people. I I, I am that guy. I'm sorry. My it drives my wife bananas, but uh that that's just who I am. You know, how does this translate or or how does this this co-location work from home kind of environment impact these skills? Oh, Ryan, that is such a good scenario to dig into. So, and I'll just, you know, talk specifically about myself. I built a lot of relationships before the pandemic because I traveled in person to many offices and got to shake hands with the people that I was doing business with on a daily basis. A lot of people who started with companies in the pandemic did not have that benefit. And so they need to take extra time to build relationships, especially the sellers, you know, with their partners in finance, legal, IT, procurement, customer success, customer support, and even the professional services teams so that when they're handing off, whether it's the paperwork or the customer at the end of the sales cycle, they know that they're going into trusted hands, that the relationship will continue in the way that they built it with the buyer. So I've heard a couple words from you. Now, uh, credibility and trust, right? Are these skills associated, you know, are these skills driving credibility and trust? Is that the end game of these skills or what are we talking about? They're absolutely driving credibility. A lot of people, when they're trying to change their career or even uh, progress in their, in their current role, they feel like they don't have enough credibility and that's what holds them back. But these skills and the identification of the skills helps drive that credibility and helps propel them forward. On the trust side, depending on the role that you're in, and I um, give this example when you're giving an elevator pitch, and if you're a seller, a recruiter, or a teacher, you want to say who you are, what you do, but also deliver that in a way that tells that, that demonstrates to the listener how they can trust you. And so I think it really is a nature of the role, and building trust is super, super important for sellers. Storytelling. You, you've talked about storytelling early on in our conversation. You mentioned storytelling. Uh, for me, this is a this is a thing. Um, I, storytelling is one of my very favorite uh, story time. I, I am a child at nighttime. If I just had an opportunity to listen to somebody just tell a story, I would go to sleep and sleep like a baby. I love stories. In fact, um, I think since the beginning of since the beginning of time when humans were living in caves and you know grunting at each other, I think they were grunting in in story format, right? I think we've been telling stories with each other as humans since the beginning of time. 100%. So it's in our what's that? It's hundred percent since the dawn of time we've been telling stories and and passing those stories from one generation to the next. That, that's it, and that's that's exactly my point. And so you know we are um, storytelling machines and desiring of stories. Tell me more about the storytelling skill. Like, why is that so important? You mentioned in the elevator pitch, telling it, telling the story in a way that is, can drive credibility that's digestible. How do, how do people do that? Give some tips or tricks around that storytelling. 
thing, especially in um, technology and enterprise sales, the storytelling is understanding customers who have had similar pain points and being able to demonstrate how the technology solution solved their pain point. And so this is a, a, a great example of how marketing and sales need to work together on that storytelling. And so, you know, sales can say, hey, I have a customer, we solved their pain point, let's capture the story. Marketing then needs to work with the customer to capture that story in a way that anyone can understand it. And then the salesperson, again, needs to be able to answer questions related to that customer story to any other potential buyer that may be looking at it. I'll tell you this, as a buyer of enterprise tech, when I go to a company's website, the first tab I'm clicking on is that customer tab. I want to see the stories of the customers that they have worked with and how they solve their pain points and find those commonalities in that story before I make a decision to move forward with that purchase. So love that. Uh, the voice of the buyer is vastly important and understanding the voice of the buyer as they say it is really important. Not in the language of the, the company trying to sell their wares, Bingo. but in the voice of the buyer. Yes. Preach. Okay. So we've talked again about externally and the buyer's perspective. What about storytelling internally? Because there's a different means of storytelling. It is vastly jargon heavy. It's pointed. It's attached to business initiatives that are very internal to, to whatever organization you're working on. What is the, is there a difference in the way that stories are told internally versus externally? Yes, the difference is it becomes more of advocacy on behalf of the customer. And this is why I had customer first as one of those top three skills at the, at the beginning of our, of our chat. Um, you have, you put the customer at the center of your activities and you're advocating for that customer internally to move forward, whether it's getting that paperwork to them in a timely manner or getting their implementation completed in a timely manner, or even this, the service delivery post implementation you want to make sure that you're constantly advocating for the for the uh, buyer and the company and that they feel like you're their advocate they know they can again trust you with that relationship because you're their internal advocate at the company that is truly being an extension of that customer not just in the relationship with whatever where you you sold whatever software you sold whatever service you sold but also internally to get it done exactly. so i i love that okay so let's say let's just play for a second i'm okay. a seller or a marketer trying to maybe pivot in my career okay? okay what tips do you have for me all right so i've said it multiple times in today's show you need to identify your transferable skills and if you are listening very carefully today i gave multiple examples of transferable skills but know that there are many many more and so make that inventory and that'll make it easier for you to articulate how certain skills can help you succeed in the next role or perhaps even build credibility with customers in a presentation and so now that you have the skills uh, together, you can then build a really strong elevator pitch to talk about yourself to others. And my recommendations are always an elevator pitch needs to be memorable and it needs to be specific on who you are, what you do, and you want to deliver information in a way that the other person can understand how they can help you. Mm. So I, I love this. I'm going to, I'm going to connect some dots here. And, and I, and I love what you just said, making that list so that you can articulate it better. That's fantastic. 
what impact does having that understanding of yourself have on being able to understand others when you understand these skills and are able to identify those skills in yourself? How does that impact you on being able to potentially identify those skills in other people? And what impact does that have? So I think one, when you start to understand your skills, you see them in other people. So there's that, that commonality that you can build by seeing those skills. You also help the other person identify those skills because it's really hard for us to spot the skills in ourselves. It's almost easier for us to spot them in other people. And so that's one, you can identify your own skills and others. You can also, you know, once you start identifying skills and seeing what are skills, whether it's the hard skills or the soft skills, you start to notice that more in others as well. And you may start to build, um, people or collect people around you that have complementary skills. Okay. What do you mean? Complementary skills? Tell me, tell me more about this. Yeah. So if I give an example of complementary skills, for example, on a sales team, you may have the complementary skills of the hunter and farmer profiles and they have different accounts and they have different targets within those accounts. And potentially on a larger account, you could have both a hunter and a farmer working together to expand it. Okay. I love okay. this. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's say coming back to that hypothetical, I'm a seller or a marketer trying to pivot my career. Um, you've, you've given me a good thing, you know, make a list of the skills that I have for myself. How do I break into a specific role? Let's say there was a role that I wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. what, what advice or tips or tricks would you give to our listeners? So what's great about today's market is that you can leverage LinkedIn to look at the career paths of others. I love doing this. And so you can actually plot out how a few people got into the specific role that you are targeting. And then you can become what's known as a targeted searcher to hone in on the skills to make that switch. Right. Okay. And then oh, you, and then what, as you start, like you identify the skills, you're focusing on certain skills, you're improving them maybe by upskilling, and then you'll have fresh examples to share in networking conversations about how you developed and use those skills. And that's what I call skills-based networking in the book. Oh, I love that skills-based networking. Um, Asha, any last advice that you give to our listeners today? Uh, around developing skills or recognizing skills in selves in, in their self or in others? I think, you know, take, take the time to identify your transferable skills and that will help you articulate them. Like I said, maybe if you want to change careers or you just want to be better in front of your customers, it'll help you with the credibility and the confidence that you know what you're, you're talking about and, and what you're selling or, or marketing, depending on which role you're in. And all that together, if you're, you are trying to make a career pivot, know that you have a body of skills that could lend itself to that next role. Okay, real last question here. So now that Tom Brady is retired, what, what are you going to do? Who, who are you going to backfill Tom Brady with? Is there a backfill or is it just over? Is the dream gone? It might be over, Ryan. <laughs> I might just have my Sundays back. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Asha, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It was a pleasure. And listeners, for more from us at Primary Intelligence and to check out Asha's new book, Skills, the Common Denominator, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.